verses 1 through 9. I have to warn you this morning that we're going to be reading this parable that there's kind of three parts to it, and we're only going to read the first part right now, but we're going to go over the other parts in the message. And so we encourage you to, to look up the scripture passage, to keep your Bibles open, because, uh, well, we'll also, you know, put it up here, so I guess it doesn't really matter that much. But if you want to dig into the scripture yourself, and you want to look at the context and all that, it's always good to uh, look into the scripture yourself. Um, and uh, yeah, while you guys are looking that up, again, it's Matthew chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. We're going to read this in the ESV. And um, once you are able, if you're here in person, I guess you can always do this at home if you want, uh, but if you can stand as able for the reading of God's word, I'll read the scripture, and then we will all respond with thanks be to, be to God at the end. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. All right, friends, we are continuing in our sermon series uh, that's called Life, period. And today, uh, the, the, the name of the sermon is Change the Atmosphere. We're going to talk about what that means in a moment, but it has to do with how do we change our lives? Because that's what we're talking about, right? We're talking about life. And the idea that, as we even said in the beginning, you know, God accepts us as we are, but loves us so much that he's not going to leave us exactly there, right? And we hope in many ways that you have come ready to change. And that's the way we greet you every Sunday. And, you know, in many ways, there is a way of thinking about change that you know, I, I think for a lot of us, we want change, right? Like, like there, there's a lot of us that they're not satisfied with our lives right now. You know, maybe we're too stressed. We're too worried. We're too tired. We're, we're not satisfied. You know, you, you just keep chasing this carrot that society keeps dangling in front of you. And one of the things you're going to find is that even if you get the carrot, you're going to eat the carrot and be like, okay, no more carrot. Where's the next carrot? You know, and you're going to keep chasing things, and you're going to keep chasing pleasure, or you're going to keep chasing fulfillment, or you're going to keep chasing purpose. And the way this world works is it is never enough. But what God promises us is the kind of life that is completely fulfilled. We've been talking about that, and we want that kind of life. And so talking about change is very important. But the way that we think about change in this world is usually we think of it just as an individual. And so here, uh, it's just a picture of like a guy being, I mean, you know, I guess this could be anything. This could be like two hands, you know, holding the guy. It could be two hands crushing the guy. <laughs> it could be two hands like just gently holding the guy. But I like to think of these two hands as like molding, shaping. It's almost the way that we think about change is that you're one individual and all I got to do is fix you. All I got to do is change your stuff. Right? All I got to do is change something within me. But the problem with that is that we are not alone. 
If you've ever tried to just have joy in your heart on your own, you'll realize that other people quickly mess that up. <laughs> other things mess that up. This morning, man, I was trying so hard to be in a good mood and, you know, to, to be in the joy of the Lord as I come here on Sunday morning. And I noticed this morning that no one had signed up for a snack. And I was like, oh, I got like an extra few minutes. And it's like kind of on the way. I'll, I'll go pick up some donuts. I'll go to DJ's. And I go to DJ's. And DJ's is really close by my house. And I've been telling anyone who listen, like, oh, man, these are the best donuts, man. They're so good. If you guys had them this morning, they're so good, right? But... The thing is, though, it just felt like my little secret because, like, no one was ever there. It's just by my house. Like, seriously, every time I would go in there, like, just, like, the cases were full and, and no one would be there. And over time, they made a couple, like, you know, best of Michigan lists and their fame has risen. And I haven't been there in maybe a few weeks. And I go in there and, there, well, first of all, there was, like, no parking spots. And I go in and there's, like, a huge line to get donuts. And I'm like, oh, okay, I could choose to, like, get kind of, like, upset and frustrated at this, but, you know, I got time. I got some extra time. And, by the way, this is awesome for DJs, that they're so popular now, that my favorite donut place is not going to go out of business. And other people get to share in this joy. And I went up to the lady after waiting for however long to get these donuts, and I was just like, I'm so happy for you guys. This is so awesome that you guys are doing so well. You know, and she's like, oh, thank you so much. And I walked out with my donuts feeling good, and I'm like, okay, it's a little tighter now. You know, but I, I think I can still make it by 1020. It may be 1021, but it's okay. I'm going to stay in the joy of the Lord. And, and I'm driving downtown, and, and, and I get to, from Packard State Street, and it's like all crazy backed up. And I mean, you, you guys already know the end of the story. Marathon! There was a stinking marathon through campus. Who puts a marathon in the middle of campus? Seriously. And, you know, I, I, like, joy of the Lord was just quickly evaporating. I just was like, why? Seriously, you guys are going to do a marathon right now? And I got to tell you, man, if it was just me, I'd be in the joy of the Lord all the time, let me tell you. But it's not just me, and it's not just you. And, and this idea of change, is all I got to do is change myself. It just doesn't work, right? There's so much more to a person. There's so much more to a life. And you're going to see that in this parable. I want to point out some things about this parable, which is a very well-worn parable. It's actually the first parable that is told in most of the Gospels. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, it, it appears in all three. And so it's thought of as being a very, very important one because it's first and because Jesus actually explains what the purpose of the parables are in the midst of it because it's one of the first ones. But I want us this morning to kind of like, you know, not necessarily put your thinking caps on because some of you all... The people in my car, man, you guys were like mad tired. <laughs> I know. Thanks for coming out to church. I'm so glad you guys came. But I know some of you guys are really tired and maybe like, like you're not ready for like a lecture or, you know, to really like do some deep thinking. But what I want you guys to have this morning is curiosity. And not just take this passage like, oh, yeah, 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 I, I know it. I know it. There's like soil and there's seeds and some grow and some don't. And, you know, but friends, there's some mysteries here. And as I, I've been reading the scripture, I got to tell you, I've preached on parable of sower a lot because it's a really important parable. But there's something that always made me uncomfortable. There's always a question I had. I mean, seriously, there's been times where I've been preaching it. And as I'm preaching, I'm like, mm, I'm not quite settled on this. And so I want to talk about this with you this morning. And so the question is, and you can see uh, above the guy thinking with the light bulb, um, who are you in this parable? Who are you? So, I mean, obviously, you're not the sower, right? That, that's God, right? God clearly is the sower. Um, 
but what are you? Are you, are you the seed? Are, are you the growing plant? Well, the plant probably came from the seed. But isn't the seed the word of God? So then, okay, then are we the soil? And I got to tell you, most of the time when I tell this parable, whether I mean to or not, I think I'm the soil. And, and so sometimes you hear this parable, and the message is, be good soil, right? Have you guys ever heard it in that way? And that's probably how I've heard it, and probably preached it sometimes. Be good soil. But so I want you just to be curious, as we go into the parable, to ask this question, are you really the soil? Are you? Are, are you just the, the stuff of the earth? Because what you're going to find is... It's not just soil in the passage, so that might ruin our plans here. But let, let's take a look. And by the way, I wanted to do something that's a little bit interesting, just because we already read it, right? And I did something where I took it from the original Greek. Okay, now you can tell this is English. It's not the original Greek. But what I did was, in the original Greek, in Matthew, and actually also in Mark's version, Luke does use the word seed. But in Matthew and Mark, the word seed actually never appears. It's weird, right? But because they insert the word seed, because it's implied, right? The word for sowing implies that it's seeds. It's the word you use when farmers sow seeds. So we know he's talking about seeds. So it's not bad for them to put in seed, but I got to tell you that it hit me different. Now, maybe it's just an interesting thing. Maybe I can't make too great a point of it, but I just wanted to take out the word seed and to show you just what it would look like in Greek. And I don't know about you, but it hit me different when I read it this way. So it says, a sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some fell along the path. So you can see, I took out seed. Some fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Others fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Others fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Others fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He who has ears, let him hear. So there's a few things I kind of want to point out about this passage that might be kind of mishearings, or like we read certain passages and we just assume that we know what they mean. And oftentimes you'll hear a parable and we think it always means about salvation, like, like you know, having eternal life. But I got to tell you, when you read this passage and, and you look at it, it's really hard to come to that conclusion because look at what happens to the seed that falls into the good soil. It says it produces a harvest, some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. If you think that's eternal salvation, that makes absolutely no sense. Because don't you all get the same reward, basically? Right? You get to go to heaven. You get to be with God forever. What does it mean that some produce 100, some produce 60, some produce 30? Do some kind of get into heaven and some really get into heaven and some get really, really close to God? I don't know, but I got to tell you, that's not the way it reads, right? He's not talking about just going into heaven after you die. He's talking about your life, how productive it's going to be, how fruitful it's going to be, not productive in the sense that we think in the world, how much money you're going to make. That's not what he's talking about, but the fruitfulness of your life. And, and how, your life in the kingdom of God specifically, right? And so, friends, let's go back to our whole question of this, this mystery of who are we in the passage? I got to tell you, when you read it like this, when you take out seed, and maybe it's just because we've always been told the seed is the word of God, the seed is the word of God, and it actually tells you that in uh, the Mark and Luke version. It doesn't tell you that in the Matthew version. 
right? But we always hear, see the word of God, see the word of God. But when you read it like this, honestly, it kind of sounds like I'm the seed, doesn't it? And that God is scattering you into different places, right? Now, if, if some of you are like, oh, Pastor Steve, I don't buy that. No, remember, seeds of the word of God. We can't be the seed. But let me add another layer to this mystery. Okay, now most people, uh, they, they preach about soil, right? I have totally done this. Like, I, I, I have a sermon. You can look it up. It's on YouTube probably. I think it's called, like, the importance of soil. And I talk about all the different kinds of soil that are in this passage. There's a problem with this. One of them is not soil. Did you notice that? Right? It says, and as he sowed, some fell along the path, and the birds came, came and de- de- the birds came and devoured them. I don't know why I said birds with a p. Birds, <laughs> the birds came and devoured them. And in, in a different version of this, in one of the other gospels, it actually says it falls right next to the path. It's not even in, in the path. Right? It never goes into the soil, not at all. And and so you know, some of us like we say, okay. Are you the path? Because that sounds a little weirder. And that doesn't really fit into a sermon where you're talking about um, different kinds of soil. This is a picture of a Roman road uh, that, that obviously still exists to this time, but would not have been paved. But if you look at this, this clearly is not soil, right? If seed fell on this, no one would think this is soil. So are you trying to say that we're the road, right? It, it just sounds weirder that way, right? Maybe... We're not quite the seed. We're not quite the soil. We're, 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 not always the, we're not necessarily the path, right? And so the plot thickens a little bit. And friends, um, before we answer the question, I want to go to what the disciples ask. So this might seem like kind of a pivot, but I think this will help us to understand some things. But I have to warn you. I got to tell you, most p- pastors do not preach on this next part. And there's a specific reason for it. Because it just does not preach well. It, it, it doesn't. And to our modern ears, this sounds weird, if not downright disrespectful. <laughs> or like downright kind of like, wait, Jesus said this? Okay, so the disciples are like, yo, why do you got to speak in parables like this? Why don't you speak plainly, right? And, and so he, to- he asked them, he says, or, or so he answers their question, why don't you speak in parables? And he says, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Oh, man, that that doesn't sound good. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, you will indeed hear but never understand, and you will indeed see but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Friends, we hear this, and this is downright un-American, right? In America, we believe that all of us are these uh, special snowflakes that have individual choice, and if I hear a word from somebody, I have the choice to listen to it or not, 
right? And if I listen to it, then, you know, I could understand it because I'm a strong, capable, intelligent person, and I'm perfectly capable of understanding this word. But Jesus is like, these people are not going to get it. They're not going to understand because their ears have been stopped up. Their hearts have been dulled. And what he's saying, in essence, is it is not their fault. This has happened through generations. Their fathers and their fathers' fathers and their mothers and their mothers' mothers, they come from a long line of people who have not learned how to hear this kind of word. And they have assumed the meaning. And they they come from this long line where they have become very stubborn. And they're in a place where they cannot hear it right now. This passage, we could probably go into a much deeper study of it, but this isn't the main event. This is just to explain what the parables are about. And honestly, one of the things that I get from it is just to say some people just aren't ready to hear. And so what he's saying by blessed are you because you can hear it and you can understand it is for whatever reason, they, the disciples have been put into a place where they can hear it now. And if you know anything about the disciples, it's not because they're better than the other people. Right? In some cases, like, like, I mean, Peter is at times so stubborn, right? And he's so slow to understand the things of God. He betrays Jesus over and over again. They're uneducated fishermen, right? Uh, one's a tax collector, right? This is not the cream of the crop. Jesus did not pick them because they were better than other people. Why did he pick them? No clue. But for whatever reason, they were ready to hear. They were ready to hear. And and so, brothers and sisters, going back to the idea of maybe there is something about the sower sowing the seeds where there is a choice in where the sower is sowing the seeds. Why does he choose that? We don't know. And to say that, yes, the, the seeds are the word of God, but to think, if you were to flip it and to say, Jesus or God puts some people in certain places and other people's in others, Isn't that just objectively true? That might sound weird to our modern ears, but God did place some people in certain places, and we don't know why. It's not because God necessarily loves those people more, but some people are in a really rich part of the world. They're in America, right, like us. First world, right? And we have first world problems, and our average GDP is way higher than other countries, and we have way better health care, and we have so much more access to the vaccine. And then there are other countries where people are born through no fault of their own, where they don't have any of that stuff. And are you to fault those people and say, ah, you just didn't want it enough? There is something in this passage that I think is just the way life works, where you are greatly influenced by where you end up, your atmosphere, your environment. And it is not necessarily your fault. It's not the people's fault that they can't hear. And by the way, I know Jesus, it it sounds very dramatic where he's like, they're they're just not going to understand. I don't think he's trying to be mean. I think he's just telling them a fact. He's like, I'm the son of God. I know they're not going to listen to me. But this is the thing. In the beginning of the passage, you notice Jesus comes out of a house and all these people gather. All these people, they want to hear the word of God. They want to get a piece of this Jesus. And they come, and what does Jesus do? He's like, you're not going to understand. Go away. No, you know what he does? He gets on a boat and he pushes out from the shore so that every single person can hear him. 
and he ends the passage, the passage where he's just told us a little bit after that, these people are not going to get it. They're not going to understand. They're not going to turn. But he tries anyways. Do you notice that? And at the end of the passage, what does he say? What does he say at the end of the parable? He who has ears, let them hear. He who has ears, let them hear. I want you to hear. I want you to understand. That is the heart of God. And he is spreading the seeds everywhere. He wants everyone to understand. But not everyone will. And it is not their fault. It's your environment. There's so many things that, that, that go into this, brothers and sisters. There's so many ways that this does not sound like the version of life that you have been told. We have been told that it's our individual choice. And by the way, America, which honestly, there's a lot of messed up social injustice things. And it is very convenient for us in America to excuse it, to excuse the fact that some people live in, live in ghettos and slums and say, you know what, it's your fault. If you just wanted it more, if you just wanted it studied more, then you would be able to get yourself out of it. It's nonsense. I remember the book that really changed my mind on this, because I was a sociology major in college, was I read this book about, um, uh, so there's a journalist that followed this family around. And this family, um, the son was so intelligent. He loved learning. He, he like, like would just consume like book after book after book, any book that he could get. He just always was like trying to learn new languages and all this stuff. And he lived in one of the poorest, one of the uh, worst projects in uh, inner city Chicago. And, and, but he was by far the best in his school. I mean, he was so bright. And, and he goes into this whole description of how this kid just loves knowledge and is just always trying to learn. And at the end of that entire description, he said, this boy, the smartest in his class, exceptional in every way, is one full grade year below the average American student. Do you think it's because he didn't try? Do you think he, he didn't want to learn? And, and so he consumed every book he could get, but consider his school. They don't get the most updated textbooks. They have shortages of books. So all the books you can get are not the same access that you or I might have gotten. You know what I mean? And so we like to believe, like, ah, see, you're poor because you just didn't try enough. But it's honestly way more has to do with your environment than it has to do with how much you want it. And they've done study after study. If you want to figure out who are going to be the best and brightest, who are going to succeed the most, just look at their zip code. Look at where they live. That's the greatest predictor. It is not their IQ. It's not even their parents. Now, we, we like to believe that our parents are the largest influence, but think about this. Have you ever noticed that, um, and maybe some of you actually fall into this camp, if your parents were born in another country and their native language is like, say, Korean or Chinese or Spanish or whatever, and you come here and your parents just speak to you in Korean or they just speak to you in Spanish, have you noticed that every kid who grows, grows up in America, their first language eventually becomes English? Have you noticed that? Right? Why? Like, seriously, sometimes, like, the parents don't even speak English at all. But still, everyone learns English. Why? Because of your environment. Because of your greater environment. Because of your school. Because of your neighborhood. Right? And all of these things actually have way more of an impact 
They've done all these studies where you could get these parents that are so invested in their kids and they love their kids and they're trying so hard to give their kids the best education and to shield them from bad influences. But if you live in a bad neighborhood, it almost doesn't matter statistically. Yes, there are exceptions, but the exceptions prove the rule, right? And so in America, we love telling the story of the one kid from the ghetto who escaped and we don't tell the story of the 999,999 that didn't escape, right? So much more your environment. So brothers and sisters, let's go back to the parable. And so you're wondering, okay, Pastor Steve, where are you going with all of this? What the heck? What is this all about? So there's one more piece I want to give you before we try to answer that question, okay? So bear with me. But let's go into, so verse 18, it says, Hear then the parable of the sower. So now Jesus is going to explain it to us. So great, we're going to have some clarity here. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. So he still doesn't say that the seed is the word, but it, it probably is. Okay, so don't worry about that. It probably is, but when it says the word of the kingdom, what does that mean? We have a, a kind of a, a, a way of thinking now, nowadays that does not reflect um, the way that Jesus' hearers would have understood the word word. <laughs> the word in Greek is logos. And we just call the Bible the word of God, right? Um, and, and so we read this as, yes, so this is, you know, the sower is sowing the word of God. And some people are going to be able to hear the Bible and some people aren't. The Bible can be the word of God. Don't get me wrong. But this is not what Jesus intended. The word logos is a word that comes from Greek philosophy. And yes, it has come to be synonymous with the Bible, but that's what we did to it. Because have you noticed like John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And he's talking about Jesus. So think about this. If Jesus is the word, the logos... Um, try doing this. So if Logos equals Bible, does Jesus equal Bible? Jesus is the Bible? It makes no sense, right? Obviously, John is talking about something different, right? And so the word Logos, it comes from, uh, um, so it's the same root that we get like the word logic. And so what the Greeks believed is that in the universe, like, like yes, there's all this stuff that's happening. And we, by the way, don't believe in a Logos anymore. We just believe in random chance, Right? Everything that happens in this world, you know, th this is the secular belief, right? That just, there's just atoms bumping into each other, and over time, they just kind of organize, and just for their own survival, right? Like, like, they just organize in a certain way, but it's just dumb luck, it's just random chance. But the Greeks did not believe that. The Greeks believed that there was some kind of internal logic to the whole universe. There was some reason. There was some plan in it. And you may not be able to understand it, but it was there. The fact that, you know, things don't just come out randomly, but things can come out very beautiful. And, and it just does seem like there is something guiding all of that. And their word for that was logos. And so when they are talking about, and by the way, this is from the Encyclopedia Britannica. So it says, Greek is word, reason, or plan. In ancient Greek philosophy and early Christian theology, the divine reason implicit in the cosmos ordering it and giving it form and meaning. So when it says that, that God created the, the, the world with a word, right? God spoke, let there be light, and there was light. It's not saying that God spoke 
and, and he said, let there be Bible, and then there was, right? Like, no, it's, he spoke his intention. He spoke his plan. He spoke his internal logic into the world, what he desired for the world, and it came to be. This is what God thought up in his head, and it became reality. And that is what Jesus is. Jesus is God's plan for the world. Does that make sense? If it doesn't make sense, don't worry. I know it's Greek philosophy and it can be confusing. But the idea is that it is God's intention, right? Another way to think about it is God's will. The, the word of God is God's will becoming manifest. What God desires on this world, when he speaks into the world, right? And so when he's speaking a word into you, it is what he desires for you. It is, is his plan for you. It's his will for you. And what is that word? Well, it says, um, when anyone hears the word, the logos of the kingdom. So it is not just a random word. It's not just all the words in the Bible. It is the word of the kingdom. So what is the kingdom? So this is a definition that was given. Um, The kingdom of God is wherever God reigns, right? So, you know, it's wherever a king is a king, wherever his domain is, right? And he has authority there. Um, It is present wherever what God wants done is done. It is the range of God's effective will. So when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, we are praying for God's will. We are praying for God's kingdom to come, right? So if you think about, like, how would God want us to be? How would God want this world to be? Would God want us to to be selfish and just be after the almighty dollar and only care about ourselves? Probably not. That's probably not the kingdom of God. Would God want us to love one another and understand one another and to live in harmony with him and with other people and to worship him? Yeah, probably. And if all of that is happening, then that's the the, the kingdom of God. So it is the place where what God desires to happen is actually happening. Does that make sense? Yeah? Okay. So then it says... uh, uh, Jesus' central message is that the kingdom of God is not far off and way later, but is immediately and directly accessible to us through him. The kingdom of God is the natural home of the soul. I want you to think about that for a moment. It's the natural home of the soul. What does that sound like? That sounds like, to me, the good soil, doesn't it? I think what they're talking about here is the kingdom of the, the... the kingdom of God, the kingdom word, is meant to come and it's meant to find in us good soil because this is what we want to bring about, right? And so this is the picture of what our hearts and our lives are supposed to be, the place where God is reigning, okay? So now um, let's answer the question. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word, we already talked about that, um, hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away. Um, as for what was sown on rocky gra- ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. As for does not exist in the Greek. It just says, and what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word. Okay, And then go down to uh, verse 22. And as for what was sown among the seeds, there's no as for. It's not in the Greek. Right? It just says, what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. So are you the seed or are you the soil? Or are you some kind of combination of both? 
And I think the answer is you're a combination of both. I, I know this, this sounds really weird to our Western ears, but there's a reason why in every one of these parables that talk, the parable of the sower, in every version, Jesus never specifically says what we are. Because you are not just an individual. You are part of a system. And you speak the language not because you decided to speak English. It's because you live in a country where they speak English. You wear clothes of a certain style because that's what is fashionable right now. Right? You have certain interests because other people your age have similar interests. Right? It, you are not a unique snowflake that is just a, a, an individual entity. You are who you are because you exist in soil. Does that make sense? You are part of an ecosystem. And that's what Jesus is saying about these people who have become so stubborn and so become so hard of hearing because that's the, that's the environment that they are a part of. And so some of y'all, you exist in an ecosystem of, of stress and anxiety. And sometimes we're like, yo, I, I got to just stop being stressed, right? You are treating the problem as if you are an individual and all you got to do is stop being stressed, stop being stressed. It doesn't work. You got to change the atmosphere. It's the only way this is going to work. About three years ago, um, so this was in the winter of, I guess this was, it must have been 2019. Um, so out of nowhere, uh, I, I started having uh, panic attacks because one night, um, it was late at night, it was during the winter, I felt a little bit stuffy, but I felt like I couldn't breathe. And um, so, so then I, I just had this thought like, oh my gosh, like I can't breathe. And, before I knew it, I couldn't sleep at night, um, and, and I, I just started having these panic attacks. You know, sometimes it would be because my nose was stuffy, um, but it, it just, you know, the, the long and short of it is I was in this environment where just, I, I was just filled with panic and worry and anxiety all the time. It colored everything. And so because I felt like I couldn't breathe, there were times where, um, you know, I would just get so weird about stuff, you know, and, and like, uh, I, I got really weird about sunlight, like I needed to have a, a lot, a, enough sunlight because I felt like if I wasn't getting sunlight, then I would get depressed. At the same time, if it was too cold outside, if I tried to go outside, I worried that I would get a cold and I would get too stuffy, and I, I was just weird. Like, we would be at, at the dinner table, and it would still be light out, and I'd be like, my, my, my wife likes to draw the curtains, and I'd be like, hey, can you keep the curtains open? She's like, why? I'm like, I, I, I just, I just kind of need it. And sometimes she would be running the, 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 um, the washer and dryer, and it was making a lot of noise, and it was making me anxious. And I'm like, hey, hey can, you, can you close the door right now to the laundry room? She's like, why? I'm like, I, I just, I, it's just making me anxious. Friends, I didn't choose that. I didn't make a choice like, hmm, you know what would be really great? If I had panic attacks all the time, and, and if, if I just like, couldn't sleep, right? It, it's, it's like just being in the water, just like being in an, in, in, in an environment of anxiety, right? And there are many times where I just wanted to snap out of it, but it's not that simple. And there's a lot of you that are in situations like that. You're stressed out. You're worried all the time. And just for me to be like, hey, stop worrying, that's you thinking that you can just change yourself by being in, uh, you, you know, changing your individual self. But you've got to change your atmosphere, 
part of what the Bible talks about when it talks about the soil, it's talking about your hearts. But it's more than that. It's the stuff outside of you. And this is the thing. Jesus says something very interesting. He says the kingdom of God is within you. Or actually, the proper Greek is, the kingdom of God is inside of you. So this place where if God is king, if God is ruling and reigning, you can be perfectly safe. It's one of the, the, the marks of the kingdom of God. Is it is a place where you do not need to be afraid, where you don't have to have anxiety. And we want that reality to be within us. But friends, how do we get that? So it keeps talking about if we have the good soil, then we can receive the word and we can understand it. And then it will bear much fruit, right? Um, so, so just, uh, uh, yeah, um, to kind of like not make too fine a point of it, but when I was going through this time of anxiety, there's a lot of people who would like read scripture to me or they would send me like praise songs and different things and I had a really hard time hearing it, right? Why? Because I was in anxiety, because I was having panic attacks all the time. There's one time I met with the senior pastor of the Korean church, and he had lunch with me, and I literally was having a panic attack as I was talking to him. And so he just took out his phone, and he started reading scripture to me. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, okay, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm like, literally, I'm like sweating, right? I'm, I'm, I, like, I feel like I'm going to die, and he's reading scripture to me. You know? and, and he says this to me. He's like, Steve, Steve, Pastor Steve, you aren't listening to me. And he said it really gently. It wasn't like a rebuke. You aren't listening to No, he was like, you, you aren't listening. And he's right. I couldn't listen. I couldn't listen because all I could listen to was my own anxiety. He's like, like you, you, you need to listen. You need to listen. He who has ears, let them hear. And friends, what I learned over that time, uh, I, I want to share with you about how we actually change the atmosphere. How do we do it? How do we actually hear what God wants to say to us? So first and foremost, it takes time. I know this is not what you want to hear, but whenever Jesus uses parables of the kingdom, he almost always talks about plants or trees, growing things. It is Jesus' favorite metaphor. And if you know anything about growing things is that they take time. They don't spring up overnight. And one of the great problems of, I think, a lot of our spiritual practices is we expect immediate results. You know, like, like you hear a message like this and, and, you know, I'll talk about some of the things you can do and you'll go and you'll do it once. And not a lot changes once. And then you're like, Pastor Steve, it didn't work. I can't get into the kingdom of God. It's like, yeah, because your whole atmosphere is just filled with anxiety and fear, right? And all you did is you put one little drop of the kingdom, just one little drop, and it's good. It's good. It's a seed that will grow. But make no mistake, it's not going to change overnight. It's going to take time, right? When I was going through these panic attacks, they lasted for about three months. I'm not still going through them, right? And actually, my doctor was amazed. She's like, what did you do? Because she literally wanted to put me on antidepressants for the rest of my life. And so, you know, after three months, she's like, that's actually amazing that you're not having this anymore, you know? But friends... You know, on one level, that's amazing. But make no mistake, it was still three months, right? And when you're going through panic attacks, it's not much comfort to say, oh, in three months, you'll be a lot better, right? But friends, I got to tell you, there is going to be uh, uh, fruits that comes. There is going to be a harvest, but it takes time. Second thing is that 
Uh, so again, this, this goes back to the whole growing things. Um, remember that God is doing most of the work, right? You, you can make small changes to your environment to create a better ecosystem for the word of the kingdom to take hold and grow. But make no mistake that who's actually changing things is God. It is the Holy Spirit that is going to be able to change you and change your atmosphere. And by the way, you're not going to be able to dictate that. You're not going to be able to be like, Holy Spirit, come on, right now, change my life, make everything better. We act like we're God. Instead of being what we are, we are creatures. Yes, we are sons of the most God, but that is only because of grace. Sons and daughters of the most, God, uh, of the most high God, right? And we are that because of grace. And, and, and to be able to say, God, we know that you are the one in control. You're the one who's going to change these things. And it is going to take time. You can make small changes to your atmosphere, to your environment, to clean up the soil, to make it so that the word of God can come in more cleanly, right? And in many ways, those are big changes. But you're not going to be the one to change it yourself. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? And then the last thing is to say that little things add up over time, right? And so again, this idea that, that you just put one little drop of the kingdom of God, you know, of, of, of a better consciousness, you know, you meditate on scripture. And by the way, this is part of the reason why the Bible talks about meditating on scripture more than it talks about reading it. What meditating is, it's repeating the word of God over and over and over again. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I saw in a very, very popular church, one of the biggest churches in the world, they have a, a, a YouTube channel where they help you to meditate on scriptures, so-called meditate on scripture. And so they have like really nice music, and then there's someone with a very nice calm voice, and they're reading scripture just over and over. And I, I have to say, when I listen to it, I'm like, okay, number one, this is really nice, but... This isn't meditation, because all you're doing is you're reading scripture, and then you go on to the next one, and then you go on to the next one, and then you go on to the next one, and then you go on to the next one. Sometimes we need that word to go deep, right? It, it, we're, we're like, you know, <laughs> me, Pastor Steve, who was like super panicky and stressed, and somebody's trying to speak the word of God, but you're not listening, because all you're hearing is your own panic or your own stress, Right? And sometimes you have to repeat it to yourself again and again and again and again. I used to, before I went to bed, I would just keep reading Romans 8 over and over again. Sometimes I had no idea what I was reading. But what I did know is how slowly changing the atmosphere. Sometimes before I would go to bed, I would listen to a scripture song. Sometimes when I'm really stressed out or I'm going to a really stressful meeting, you know, maybe some of you guys can do this on your way to, to a class, listen to a praise song. Maybe you can't read scripture right then, right? But just in that moment, you're, you're just slowly adding little drops, little drops of the atmosphere, little drops of the kingdom. And you feel like it's not making a big difference, but I'm telling you, it will add up over time. Just keep doing it. Just keep changing the atmosphere. One of the things I love to do to actually get in an atmosphere where I feel like God is taking care of the world is I like to go for walks. And I just go to the walk, uh, on the walk, and over time, and, and they say that it, it probably takes about 20, 30 minutes to get the full effect of that walk, but you will find yourself being a little bit calmer, being a little less stressed. You know, one of the things we have to do, this is what Dallas Willard says, is we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. How can you do that little by little? 
maybe you're not going to be able to do it all at once. You're still going to run into the marathon and get mad stressed and mad mad, right? You're going to get so angry when you hit the marathon. But maybe, you know, there's a time where you're not running late. And there's the bus right there, and there's something within you that's like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I, I, I just feel like I, I need to jump on this bus right now. And, and you know that you're not going to be late. And just take your time. Just walk slower, right? These little tiny things to just change and tweak the atmosphere over time. Uh, praise team, can you guys come up? And I just want you to know that what God desires to do is to bring about the kingdom in your life. And there is a heart within us. There is the soil within us that can bring about this kingdom uh, 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 of, of just no anxiety, a kingdom of love, a place where you know you are absolutely cared for by God, the creator, and by God, who is the king of the universe. And friends, can we just, just take a moment to, uh, um, yeah, Maybe if you can just close your eyes and praise team, you just want to start playing some chords. Just take a moment to just let this sink in. The kingdom of God is here. God is here. The Holy Spirit is here. We're going to sing a song about the Holy Spirit changing the atmosphere. And I hope that is your prayer. Not just now, but all throughout your life. Friends, I understand it's going to take time. That's why this is a journey. It's not pass or fail. It is a continuous journey that we are going through. And maybe all we can do in this moment is, God, just build what you can in this time. Maybe I have lived in an environment, a kingdom of great anxiety and fear. But I just need this little drop right now. Just even as we sing this praise song, can we just receive this like a rain? Maybe your ground, your soil is really dry. <laughs> but right now, just receive it. If you want to sing, you can sing. If you just want to listen to the lyrics, just receive it like the soil receives the rain. Let's make this our prayer. Let's just go straight into the song. If you could stand as able, let's receive the song.